Hello, I am John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to wish, I guess, wish everybody a happy new year. I guess that's what we're, we're supposed to do. This is our first program of the new year of 2023. Um, and, I, and I've got to say that, you know, I got to start by, uh, I, I guess, by declaring my new year's resolution, which is nothing new. I'm going to continue to fight politicians the way I have always done. Um, we've got to fight the, the, the powers that be. And part of the reason we have to do that is because what people perceive as their voice, Americans perceive as their voice, their vote in elections, falls far short of really having impact on what governmental officials do. Yeah, you can choose usually between the lesser of two evils, but that doesn't mean you don't still have an evil in there. And I'm going to talk at length today about New York State's Governor Kathy Hochul, who is, you know, praised as, you know, one of these folks to break the glass ceiling. She's the first elected woman governor of the state of New York. Um, the, by many accounts, she has been praised for, for various things, but she barely beat her challenger in a very... You know, in a very blue state, she very she barely beat her challenger Lee Zeldin for a variety of reasons, uh, poor campaigning being one of them. But, but also some questionable antics that she pulled at the, uh, it, it, you know, as her stint as the um, uh, not elected governor, she basically took over the governorship when disgraced Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo was uh, was essentially forced to resign. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that, but before we do it, let me once again remind people we are listener supported radio, and I want to thank the the good people of New York City and Washington D.C. for tuning this program in. I do have to remind people who listen to this program that you can't take it for granted that this program will be aired even on these two fine stations. They these stations struggle. We are we're different than public radio. We have a much smaller pool of, uh, of uh, listeners to fund these stations, and management is oftentimes forced to uh, try to evaluate what programming is going to elicit the most funding for the stations. And, and unfortunately, one of the, th the metrics that management oftentimes has to use in terms of determining what their, uh, their broadcast grid is going to look like, what their schedule is going to look like, is, uh, is fundraising. I don't think it's a fair metric, personally, but it, it is what it is. So what I'm telling you as the listener of these stations and of this program is you can neither take for granted that these stations will remain on the air or the programs that you listen to will remain on the air. You have to be heard. You've got to let management know. One of the best ways to, know, to let them know, obviously, is to make a donation to these stations in the name of the program that you're listening to. Uh, and you don't have to necessarily do it while... While I'm on the air, you don't necessarily have to. You can do it after the fact, but you have to make sure that you, you make a point to mention that you're donating uh, in support of this program being on the air. So let me, uh, let me go through it. If you are listening in New York City, the, the pledge line is 212-209-2950. Uh, That's 212-209-2950. Or you can go online to give to wbai.org. That's G-I-V-E, the number two, W-B-A-I dot org. Uh, if you're listening in Washington, D.C. on Jazz and Justice Radio on WPFW, you can go to their pledge line, which is 202-588-9739. That's 202-588-9739. Or go online to WPFWDC.org slash donate. Look, you can become a one-time, make a one-time donation. Uh, and look, I'd love to see a few people step up and donate $1,000 in the name of this program. But, you know, if you don't have $1,000 laying around or even, you know, $100 laying around, uh, you likely could do a monthly contribution of, say, 5 or 10 or $15 a month. And in doing so, you become a sustainable member, a sustaining member of these stations. WBAI calls it their BAI Buddy Program. Uh, you can... You can Raise that level if you're already uh, a part of this uh, being a sustaining member. You can raise that by five or ten or whatever, whatever you can you can handle. But if you do so, you 
do two things. You, you fund this great station, or these great stations, I should say, but you also send a signal to management that this is one of the programs that you listen to. Now, um, look, I, I don't think that uh, sometimes that characterization that, that I'm the angry Indian, I hate that word too, but uh, that I'm the angry Indian on, on the radio, I don't think that's a fair characterization. Am I assertive? Sure. But look, oftentimes I, I find myself laughing at the absurdity of some of what transpires in the United States in the handling of history, in the handling of policy, in the facing um, up to ra the racist history and the racist present that the, that the, uh, the United States uh, is, is constantly demonstrating. So again, you, you've, if you listen to this, this program on WPFW or on WBAI, then I encourage you to support those stations for doing so. Uh, this, this program gets posted up as a podcast, so you can listen to it by going to your smart speaker or going to your search engine and look for Resistance Radio with John Kane, and you can find, um, you know, shows going back a ways. Uh, you can also obviously go to the archives of both WPFW and of uh, WBAI. And, of course, if you're, if you're not tuning this show in, this station in, to a radio, you can ask your smart speaker to, 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 uh, to play WBAI or to play WPFW. So there's any number of ways that you can catch the station, catch the program, and, uh, and, and follow along in some of the conversations. And, and look, from show to show, oftentimes I've got to reach back and I've got to remind people of, of a previous show or a previous uh, topic that I covered because there's, there's updates that need to be, uh, uh, that need to take place all the time. So um, I'm going to do a little bit of that, that today, but again, this is the new year. Um, what does that mean? Um, how many things have we accomplished in the, in the previous year? I don't, you know, we can, we can list a few, but the, the fight continues. I've said it before that we are facing some tough times, but all of the roads led us here. I mean, we didn't find ourselves in, in a climate disaster accidentally. No, there was intention behind this idea of development. And I'm going to talk about developers and development and, uh, and, and some of the caution get, that gets thrown to the wind when it comes to supporting the billionaire class of developers that, uh, you know, that are really responsible for not only the, the destructive nature of capitalism in general, but specifically the environment. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today even. So, but I also need to talk about the the state of politics in the United States and the idea that that we have these wonderful candidates that uh, that people can vote for in these elections you don't you you what you have in in the situation and frankly you've had it for a long time a situation where they there's moneyed interest that get the get that gets these people before you on the ballot and you know and even when some anomaly takes place like like, like out in Buffalo, uh, close to where I live here, when an incumbent loses in the primary uh, for, the, for the Democratic Party, and, and that being Byron Brown, he lost it in his primary bid to a bit of an insurgent candidate, I would almost say, and I'm not saying it in a bad way, but, but somebody who was very progressive, uh, again, listed herself as a probably a, a Democratic socialist or something along those lines, the, the, the political forces all gathered around Byron Brown, and he was eliciting votes from, from Democrats who bailed on their own party nomination and, and Republicans as well to, to defeat India Walton in the election. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens that, you know, some people would call it a fail-safe in, in many ways. I mean, that's part of what they claim the um, Electoral College is about and, and some of these these super delegates and these kind of things that they, they get to, you know, to, to sway, you know, party um, nominations and that kind of stuff. It's, but it, but it's, it's anything but democratic. But even when you go to that final general election and, and your choices have been limited to two people that are oftentimes very, very flawed, uh, flawed candidates, especially if you are hoping to vote for somebody who's going to fulfill um, your political agenda. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. And, and look, 
I have been very condemning of, of the right and, and the Republicans and part of what I consider one of the hallmarks of their party, which is, which is really white supremacy. But they don't, have a, they don't have a monopoly on that. And we've seen that, especially in New York State, with the previous governor who, like I said, resigned in disgrace, and the current governor who's done some things that can only, they can only be described as, as the flexing of, of white supremacy and the embedded nature, the, the systemic nature of racism in state law, in state politics, and in, uh, and in policy as it relates to, you know, and of course I'm talking about specifically to Native people, but, but it cuts across the, you know, the lines here, all the, the racial lines. So let me, um, let me give an update. And, and I did a show a few weeks back. I had Harry Wallace join me on the show from, uh, from uh, Puspatuck to talk about a bill that was sitting on the governor's desk since June that was unanimously voted for. It was passed unanimously by both chambers of the state legislature. And this was the Protection of Unmarked Graves Act. I've also heard it described as the Unmarked Burial Sites Protection Act. But um, it passed through both, both chambers of the state legislature, overwhelmingly, like I said, unanimously. And it sat there since June. Now, in the, in the very end of, the, of this, this um, uh, I, I don't know what they, what they call it, but this, uh, this assembly or whatever else, this, uh, they, they, can, they call it a, uh, you know, Congress or in, in, at the federal level. I don't know what they call it on the, on the state level. But at the very end of this legislative session, put it that way, um, there was a lot of anticipation on why the governor hadn't signed this thing, especially when both Democrats and Republicans had, had voted for this bill. And look, New York State is only one of four states in the country that don't, that, that doesn't have a bill like this of some sort. And um, so in, at the end, you had the governor's you know, people basically said, um, uh, no, this can't go forward here like this. We, we've we've got we've to change, uh, change the bill. So, you know, offers a, an amendment that essentially would give developers the total say on what happens when, when the remains of, uh, of an unmarked grave are discovered. Now, look, this sounds like a very native issue. And, and look, many, many times when developers go into, into a location, they will find the remains of native people. But it's not just native people. Uh, we're talking about the remains of uh, burial sites for slaves or enslaved people, formerly enslaved, you know, enslaved people, but also the remains of, um, of, of, of soldiers from the Revolutionary War and, and, and other, and, and like, I mean, I think there was an incident in, uh, an issue in, in Lake George where they discovered a, uh, a mass burial site or a burial site of, um, of revolutionary soldiers, re regardless of which side they're fighting on. I mean, the point is, and, and this is pitted as like, um, um, like, oh, this is about defending property owners. We aren't talking about property owners in the sense of the way, the way I mean, let me read here. This is, for example, this is what, what Governor Hochul, Kathy Hochul said. She says, this law fails to balance the rights of property owners with the interests of the families of uh, lineal descendants and other groups. Of course, we know when they, anytime they throw the word other in there, <laughs> We are the others, right? Um, but she makes it sound like, oh, this is about defending property, uh, property owners. Well, let's understand who, what we're talking about here for property owners. We are talking about developers that have gone in and, and, and purchased property to do, I mean, even if they're building homes, it's still, you know, a developer's um, claim to the property. That, that, you know, that, so whether it's industry, what, you know, or, or residential uh, development, it is still major developers that have bought up a piece of property and they don't want anything to get in their way. And look, I know there, there's some, there, some environmental uh, authorizations they have to go through, and there's even some archaeological authorizations, you know, clearances they got to get through. But again, New York State is one of four states that doesn't have anything on the books that says, what if private property? I mean, the, there's certain federal statutes about federal lands, but what if private property, and, and by private property, we aren't talking about Miss Miller down the road in, uh, in her backyard. We're talking about major developers who, who own this land privately, 
that want to build something big on it. What happens if they discover a burial site? I mean, whatever kind of burial site. I mean, like I said, out of the slave era, out of uh, Revolutionary War era, or whether it's native, uh, native remains. What happens? Well, most states say, well, let's find out who's, um, who the descendants of those, of those uh, remains are, and we'll, we'll sort out a process for, you know, either for relocating the remains or something along those lines. But pro-development folks, and we always think about the right with this, right? We always think about the right being so, you know, adamant about build, 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 dig, 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 right? Um, but it's not just the right. It's, it's the left, too. So Kathy Hochul vetoes the bill. I mean, and it really kind of surprised many people. I think many of us either thought that she would veto it or just never address it because it had gone unaddressed for so long, you know, since June, that it would just time out in the, uh, you know, in the legislative uh, uh, session. But no, she vetoed it. And I, I don't know how many bills Kathy Hochul has vetoed, and I suspect there's probably none that were unanimously passed by both chambers. So this is likely, and I could be wrong, somebody can point out if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but this is likely the only bill that she vetoed that had this kind of bipartisan support. So why? Why would she do that? Well, her, she's, she's pro-development. You know, she's very pro, and look, and I know, you know, Democrats have to say they're pro-development too, right? They, they always do. And, and she's certainly, uh, you know, uh, the Democratic governor of the state of New York. But her husband is part of Delaware North, a, a, a big company that is involved in hospitality, oftentimes development, gaming, uh, vendors for, uh, you know, for, for major venues like, uh, like football stadiums and the like. Um, so right within her own household, she's got, you know, she's obviously swayed towards, uh, towards um, being partial towards, uh, towards developers. But she violated, like I said, even, even her, people in her own party who, who thought there should be more responsibility associated with development. But she vetoed this bill. Now, this isn't the only slap that, uh, that is being interpreted as a slap at Native people. Obviously, I've talked about Kathy Hochul's um, um, uh, antics, I guess you would say, or, or her behavior before she was ele elected as governor. Now, like I said, she took over the governorship after uh, Andrew Cuomo had to resign. Uh, and she took over on the fight against the Senecas uh, over revenue sharing. Revenue sharing, doesn't that sound nice? It's kind of like property owners and not realizing that you're talking about development and developers or revenue sharing sounds like sounds like a nice thing that kids should do with their candy but no this was this is the guy stealing the candy this is like taking candy from a baby right this, that that's really the analogy here so what Kathy Hochul did and she had a lot of momentum towards um, forcing the Senecas to pay half a billion dollars in uh, in accrued revenue sharing Revenue sharing that was sitting in a sitting in a specific escrow account. The the Senecas were trying to fight it, but they were trying to fight it in a way to make a political statement, even if they lost. And and by that, what I mean is they wanted to make the Interior Department, which is responsible for overseeing states and so-called tribes on on native gaming. They are the agency in, uh, that is in, um, authorized to enforce the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and provisions of it. And they have failed Native people tremendously. They, ha they have skewed almost everything towards the states. And that's how the Senecas got in this, in this situation in the first place. But one of the things that the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act was supposed to do was say, no, you can't tax, you can't force Native people to pay the state. Although New York State found a way to do it. It says the only way you can get revenue from native gaming is if you offer the, 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 the operation, the, the, the nation that's running this gaming, something in exchange, something that is valuable. And, and frankly, something that had to be more valuable than the revenue you're going to get out of this thing. Otherwise, why, if it's only a wash, then why do it? 
So what the state claimed that they were going to do is they were going to protect the Seneca's gaming market by offering an exclusivity zone in all of Western New York. The problem is it wasn't really offering an exclusivity zone, and they didn't really give them anything. The state couldn't do class three gaming. The, the state could do, had racetracks, and they could do lottery. They could arguably do class two gaming. So this exclusivity that they're offering wasn't something they could do anyway. I mean, they couldn't do slot machines in, in New York, but they could do slot machines that weren't quite class three slot machines, like at racetracks, and that's exactly what New York did. So what the state offered the Senecas was not exclusivity, and, and it didn't protect their gaming market. In fact, the state would expand its gaming in any number of ways, including the, uh, some of the, the latest maneuvering, which has sports betting just going bananas in New York State. And the possibility that, that New York State will make more mobile gaming, not just sports betting on your cell phone, but, but playing slot machines on your phone buying lottery tickets on your phone, all of these things. There's already third parties that can do this, but the state is talking about getting directly involved in mobile gaming beyond sports betting, which will take more market share away from the Senecas. So anyway, that's the fight that took place. And the Senecas were likely losing this, this fight because there was no really um, uh, protections coming from the Interior Department. So they wanted to, to make the... Um, the Interior Department do the proverbial squatter get off the pot here. And they didn't. So the likelihood the Senecas were going to have to pay. But that wasn't good enough for the, for the governor. And, and the, here's the reason why. The governor needed the Senecas to cough up half a billion dollars before she went into her final budget negotiations on the New York State budget because she wanted to take that half a billion dollars and turn around and give it to Terry Pagula, the billionaire, Western New York billionaire. I don't even know Western New York billionaire. He's, he lives in Florida, but he um, he owns the Buffalo Bills and the and the and the uh, hockey team, the uh, the Buffalo Sabers, and and even the pro lacrosse team, the, the Buffalo Band. He owns these these sports franchises, and so she wanted to give this this oil magnet, this this fossil fuels magnet, this um, half a billion dollars to build a new stadium even though he's a billionaire and could have built it himself. But no, she wanted to do it with money she was taking from the Senecas and then not even letting it hit the state coffers, which is where revenue sharing was supposed to do, go into the state coffers, help with education and stuff. No, no, she was going to treat that money as if this was her golden egg that she could present to the, the state legislature and say, look, I've got most of the funding for the state to, um, to do their, their um, billion-dollar support of uh, of a new stadium for Buffalo, I mean, which is, at this point, I th still think it's the, it's the largest publicly funded sports venue, it, it, to be surpassed by the um, the one in Tennessee and Nashville, I think. But uh, but right now, it's, it's one or two in, in the largest public financed um, sports venue in, in the history of the United States, in Buffalo, New York, her backyard, where she's from. So... In order to do that, because the Senecas were still waiting for the Interior Department to, to make some sort of determination or to have that, that time expire for them to make a determination. And the governor said, that's not good enough. I need to have this money, and I need to have it now. So she used a state law, which should have been prohibited by, according to the compact, to use a state law to freeze all of the Seneca Nation's accounts, to, to, to suspend all of the accounts and extort the money out of the, I mean, look, she didn't try to sweep the, the escrow account. She froze all the other accounts, the operating accounts of the Senecas, so the Senecas would have to willingly, <laughs> isn't that the funny word, would be forced essentially to, uh, to cough up that $560, $560 million to, uh, to Kathy Hochul, which she turned around and gave the majority, I mean, the overwhelming majority of it, to her billionaire, um, you know, friend in Western New York. So this was an unheard of act of aggression and the use of state law, which is really geared towards, um, towards enforcing um, or, or forcing a, somebody who has a fine assessed against them. This isn't even a fine. This is revenue sharing. This is sharing. But that's not the way, uh, that's not the way Kathy Hochul treated it. She was, no, I'm not going to treat 
that payment as a fine and I'm going to force you to pay it by freezing. I mean, this her freezing accounts affected, you know, over 5,000 employees. It, it affected, you know, it, it had to, it could have affected everything that the Senecas rely on in terms of their gaming operation. She did it on a Friday and the, the Senecas were forced to do something by Monday to make sure, I mean, checks were already bouncing. I mean, checks were already bouncing. But that's what Kathy Hochul did because of this specific development that she was trying to do. Now, I've talked about this in the past, but now I've got to bring it up again because I cannot be convinced that her veto of, the, of this burial sites protection act isn't tied to even this development. I mean, we're talking about a massive area that's going to be excavated for a new, a brand new stadium for the Buffalo Bills. And I know there's a lot of Buffalo Bills news in the, you know, circulating now because of an injured player, and, and I'm not even going to get into that. I'm so disgusted right now with professional football in general, and Kathy Hochul has added to that disgust. The idea that, that a politician and the party that supports that politician can have their priorities so screwed up that they would take money that's supposed to essentially go to children's education and, and hand it over to a, to a billionaire, to, you know, to, to expand his net worth and value of his football team by giving them a brand new stadium. I mean, it's, it's absurd to me, but that's what she did. And she doesn't want anything to stand in, in its way, including should, heaven forbid, should, should remains be discovered on the site. And look, we're talking about a major site to be excavated for the stadium. And the likelihood is, yeah, you're probably going to come across. I mean, we lived here for tens of thousands of years in this area. So she wasn't going to let that stand in her way. Nope. She was not going to let uh, do anything that was going to protect uh, a burial site if one should be discovered in this, in this specific site or anywhere in the state. So there's a connection here. And, and I bring this thing up because, again, she's a Democrat. And, and I realized that people had, you know, very few choices uh, when they went to the ballot box to, do, to vote for governor. And in fact, shame on the, the other political parties that you know, like the Working Families Party or the Conservative Party that won't even put up a candidate. No, they just glom on to the Democrats and the Republicans. They don't even offer, offer a choice there. Not that they were going to beat a Democrat or a Republican running for office necessarily, but you don't give anybody a choice. So nothing... There is no statement made with, uh, with an election. You end up creating this sense of political capital that these guys get. Uh, that's why, frankly, I think, I think there should be a real conscious thought given to boycotting elections. Because it almost doesn't matter who gets elected, Republican or Democrat. And, and regardless of who gets elected, and I don't buy into this, this BS that says, well, if you don't vote, you don't have a voice. No, you should have more of a voice after an election, whether you voted or not. Kathy Hochul should be held accountable for this veto. And she should pay a political price for what she did in overturning this thing. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, look, if it was unanimously elected, why doesn't the state legislature just override her veto? I'll tell you why. Because that's politics. The Democrats are going to turn on the governor. We see, we see people carrying water for their party, regardless of the imbeciles that are, that are... I mean, look at the Republicans that voted for Herschel Walker or Donald Trump or any of these people. And it's the same thing that goes... You know, you know the exception being India Walton not being voted the mayor of Buffalo. But it's not just... I'm not just picking on Kathy Hochul. We've got to hold... Joe Biden and, and uh, Kamala Harris. I mean, I, who knows who the next Democratic nominee is going to be? And who knows who, who will persevere in the, in the Republican uh, Party for the, the next president also. But it isn't just enough. It isn't enough to hold on to the Senate or to, you know, or, or win over the House or, 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 or control the state houses. You have to stay on these politicians. Why? Because they're all corrupt. They're all bought and paid for. There has to be a political price paid for the, whether you're talking about Eric Adams as the mayor of New York City 
or whether you're talking about Kathy Hochul, the governor of the state. So, yeah, I'm, I'm angry over this veto. And look, I'm not even that as passionate about protecting remains as some people are. I know some people who, who get very, very emotional over the, their, their spirituality and, and, and what those remains mean to, to them personally. I'm, I'm one that holds the view that, you know, that that's why we have the 10-day feast, because now our loved ones have been separated from their, their earthly bounds after, after that. But I know people are very passionate about this stuff, and I, and I got to throw my support with those people, regardless of whether I share in that passion or not. But for Hochul to veto this bill that, again, passed unanimously through both chambers of, this, of the state legislature, is it is absurd. Now, look, I know she's getting a lot of criticism for this for this right wing judge that she just nominated. And, and there is some pushback there. And I think there is probably going to be enough pushback to 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 maybe alter that nomination. But I don't see. I don't see state politicians, Democrats. Fighting, um, fighting the governor over this bill. Why? Because we're just not that important. I mean, we, we just don't have enough to, to change somebody's priorities. And Kathy Hochul's priorities is about building big stuff, including a stadium in Western New York, a brand new stadium. Billions to, you know, several billion dollars worth of stadium that will never pay back. I mean, you know, when any anytime tries to somebody tries to do the math on well, there's going to be a lot of uh, tax revenue created. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. This is a gift. It's a gift to a billionaire, and it's a way that she tries to win favor. Look, the bills are having some success in spite of what happened last Monday. The bills are having some some success, and they're they're a team on the uh, you know on on the rise, and they're gaining a lot of attention. So. You know, the, the idea that the billionaire owner of it will, will threaten to move the team to another city. Most people can't go to a game anyway. It's too expensive. Most people got to watch it. So whatever your team is, wherever, whatever city it's located in, you're going to watch on television. And the, and the stadium, the building is going to have more luxury suites. So the average person is, is going to have even less of an opportunity to go to a live game. And it's actually going to seat less than the existing st studio or uh, stadium. So, the, the level of contradictions and absurdities associated with this whole thing are all over the place. But one thing is clear. Kathy Hochul has demonstrated nothing but overt racism towards Native people when, as, as, her, in, as her stint as the governor of uh, the state of New York. And the fact that she barely got, th got through the general election is no surprise to me because she's a terrible human being. And she's conflicted. Her husband, by the way, a former U.S. attorney in Western, <laughs> Western New York, works for Delaware North, as I said, and they have the, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the contract to, to supply all of the food and beverages for the Bill Stadium. And likely we'll have the next one. He, they also have Contracts to be the, the vendors at, uh, at, at state parks and at rest areas throughout the state. I mean, there's a huge conflict of interest between her husband and herself as the governor of the state of New York. And, and she gets a pass. I, look, I, I'm glad a few responsible journalists and a, and a few responsible uh, media outlets have really covered her on this. But you know what? It's not enough for just the right-wing media to, to attack her. The left-wing media has to as well. She needs to be held account by her constituents and by the folks who elected her, not just by the ones who, who are going to oppose her just because of you know, party affiliation. And, and look, this gets down to what, what Americans and, and people who may, like myself who may not be considered Americans have to do. We've got to stay on these people. We've got to continue to press them and hold them accountable for bad behavior. Not just when they do something that is sexist or, uh, you know, you know, or crosses a line like, like Andrew Cuomo. No, there's a public trust here that gets violated. And, and look, just because Kathy Hochul is a woman doesn't mean that she should be protected either. 
I mean, it, it's a shame that the first woman who was elected the governor of the state of New York ends up being this one. It really is. I, I think she, uh, she, I think she represents women very, very poorly in this thing. I mean, because she's beholden to to rich, wealthy white men, owner of the bills, uh, her husband, <laughs> Delaware North. I mean, that's who she's beholden. And you know what? And this is the part that frustrates me, is because part of the reason, you know, part of the electorate that supports Democrats are black folk. And you, you've heard me go after Crystal People Stokes, who is, was the, is the assembly leader by virtue of the powers that be down in New York City. But she's from Western New York. I mean, she's the one who said, how dare you bring up racism? When Seneca's, you know, called out Kathy Hochul, how dare you bring up racism? Because she's a black woman? Carrying water for a white woman? Look, folks, just because a person of color or, or, or a woman gets elected doesn't mean that they should give, be given a blank slate. They've got, they have to be held accountable. Because, look, we see Eric Adams, a, a former cop, who's, who's running the city like a cop. We see Kamala Harris, who is likely going to be going to run for president after she, she already did once, and that's how she essentially became vice president. She was a former prosecutor, a former cop herself. We cannot disassociate these people with their past. So whether it's Joe Biden and his, his attack on Anita Hill or, or the support for the crime bill, or whether it's any of these people, we, we have to understand who they are. And yeah, look, I know Joe Biden's he's nominating, he's nominating women for judgeships. But just because somebody's a woman doesn't mean that they're going to do the right thing. Kathy Hochul's an example of that. I, we heard when, um, when Scalia passed away that, that uh, Barack Obama should have nominated uh, Diane Humatiwa, who, she, who he nominated for a judgeship in the first place, but not to the Supreme Court. She's a right-wing activist judge. In, her, in the first case that she heard as a federal judge, she ruled against na Native people. She didn't, just because she was Native, she didn't rule in favor of Native people. That's not, not the way it works. Joe Biden nominated uh, um, Deb Haaland to the Interior Department. The Interior Department didn't step up for the Senecas in this gaming battle. No, they kind of kicked the can. They, and they kicked the can, and it cost the Senecas half a billion dollars. Two billion dollars total has gone to the state from Seneca Gaming. Two billion dollars, over two billion dollars. And only now is the Interior Department saying, well, maybe we need to look at some of the rules to change that because maybe the states are benefiting too much. Oh, you think? But you wouldn't step up as, the, as, as a cabinet member, as a secretary of the Interior to do something today? You think, no, we'll look at a rule change for the future. And I got to tell you, as I sit here, I know that too many people go along to get along. I think it's entirely possible the Seneca Nation will enter into another revenue-sharing agreement. They've, they've got to renew a compact with the, with the state of New York. And I don't think that rule change is going to come in time. So how much are you going to see the Senecas pander to this governor who continues to throw mud and spit and and anything else in, in, the, in the face of Native people. The fact of the matter is she crapped all over Native people throughout the state, including down in Long Island, with this veto of this bill. This was really being pushed a lot by my friend Harry Wallace and some of the folks in Shinnecock territory. Why? Because they've had some experience with, with this problem. We all have. And why shouldn't Native people have a voice in how the remains of their ancestors are treated when they're uncovered in, by, by billion, the billionaire class of developers. This isn't, you know, mom and pop property owner. No, th these are billionaire develop, uh, developers that, that she's looking out for. Why? Because all politicians at some level are bought and paid for. And that's why your vote once a year, once every two years, once every four years, that's, I mean, that's not even being civically responsible. 
If that's all you do, then it's a cop-out. We need to make noise. And, we, and look, it isn't just about calling and writing your congressman or your president or your vice president or your governor. We need to do more, more than that. They need to know how angry some of their actions make us. Now, I'm not, I'm not promoting violence. In fact, you know, I'm an advocate of nonviolent direct action. But that might mean getting in their faces. That might mean making their lives less comfortable as they make our lives less comfortable. So, look, I'm not a, uh, a pessimist about 2023. I'm hoping that more and more young people who are going to use the tools that they have that we don't even know about. I mean, we don't understand much of the social media stuff. Part of the reason that the stations that I'm on struggle so much is that these stations are old school. They, they, you know, neither WBAI nor, nor WBFW has really managed the transition from just analog radio to what the current media uh, market looks like. And, and, I'm, and I'm not condemning them. It, look, it's tough. I'm, we've seen major newspapers go out of business. We've seen networks go out of business, radio and television, all, you know, all kinds of uh, you know, media outlets struggle to, to, to understand the, the, the new normal, the new markets. But that's why we got to rely on the kids who, yes, they're gamers. <laughs> yes, they're, they're TikTokers and they're uh, Instagrammers and Facebookers or whatever, whatever they are. But we need to find out from them what activism looks like in the future. And we need to support them. I see too many people who were the pinnacle of activism in the 60s become anything but when, when, when they reach the 60s, when they reach the 70s and their 80s. And this kind of obstacle that that previous activist class represents to the current activist class is part of the problem. We've got generational divides. And I'll tell you, we've got to hand the torch off. But part of handing that to the torch off means we hand off encouragement as well. We don't just hand them the mess that we didn't take care of. We say, look, we, we got to apologize as we hand that off. We've got to apologize for what we didn't do. Yeah, we, we did some things. And look, I, I, I said it, I was really pleased to have been played a part in the statewide ban on uh, the use of mascots by high schools in New York State. But let me remind people, had nothing to do with the governor, had nothing to do with the legislature. This had to do with a less political uh, entity in, in the New York State Department of Education. And, and Dr. Betty Rosa, who I was pleased not only with what she did and what her, what her department did, but in her outreach. When, when she called me uh, and, and we had a, probably a 30 minute conversation. I was, because it wasn't political. It was about what was right and what is wrong. And it, it was about strategizing how to affect change. When you know you've got political opposition, not only within communities and within school boards, but at this, with the state legislature, with the governor. I guarantee it is real difficult, even for a Democrat, <laughs> to talk about change, ending a, the use of a native mascot in places like Atlanta and Kansas City. Why? Because, because too many fans, too much, too, many of, too much of their constituency supports the use of, of native mascots for the, pro, for the baseball team and for the football team. So we've got we've to speak up, folks. And we've, you know, some of these things are going to have to be national movements, but some of them don't. Some of them, we just have to do the homework. We've got to do the education and the communication. And that's why I say, look, us older folks might be the good educators, but it's the young folks that are good communicators. We've got to do more. So again, one of my final asks here of this first show of the new year is that those of you who listen to this program, share this program. And share it with, with, with anybody, with everybody, with, with younger folks. Look, 
I can't, you know, I'm not saying that every program on these two stations are going to appeal to, to young, young people. But I hope that some of what I say does. Because I really want to empower young people. I want to motivate them, inspire them, and support them. I don't know that we see that across the board much. But that's what you're going to hear from this Native Voice. So I ask that you share this program. And you can share it as a podcast, as a, you know, as a radio show, whatever, by whatever means you listen to it, or by whatever means you think a, a young person is going to listen to it. Podcasts are probably a, a, a good bet. But I, I encourage you to share. Yes, I want you to support this, these two stations. And I'm going to give the, the numbers and the, uh, and, the, and the website one more time before, before I finish here. But more importantly, we need, to, we need to increase the listenership. You know, part of the reason that these two stations struggle is because we've got an older listenership. The demographics are pretty old for these two stations. Probably older for WBAI than for WPFW, I'm sure. But that means we've got we to gotta turn on some younger folks to these stations and to these programs. So that's what I'm asking you to do. Yes, donate and support these two stations. But you know what? Get the word out. Get the word out that, there's, that, that there are some voices that are trying to raise social justice issues and that this, these stations have provided a platform for that. So again, if you're listening in New York City, I ask that you go to your phone lines and that you dial 212-209-2950 and make a contribution to WBAI. You can go online to give to WBAI.org. That's G-I-V-E, the number two, WBAI.org. Become a BAI buddy by, by giving up your credit card or um, checking account information. So a monthly contribution comes out automatically. You don't you just set it and forget it, as they used to say. <laughs> just But do something. Do, do something to support the station. If you're in Washington, D.C., or if you're listening on, on some other by some other means, Support one or both of these stations. But if you're listening to Washington, D.C. on Jazz and Justice Radio, WPFW, go to 202-588-9739 or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate and make a contribution to, um, to the station. That's my ask. And it is, it's so important that we... Um, that we use the vehicles that we're familiar with and encourage younger people to use the vehicles that they're familiar with. Look, look, I'm glad that both WBAI and WPFW provide me with space to do this, to do this show. I am, I'm, I'm glad they do it because without having these platforms, I wouldn't have the, the support that I do have, even, even though we need to expand it, even though we need to do more. So support the stations, support the program, and let's, I mean, let's make a plan. I mean, I, I hear a lot of, obviously every year, this time of year, all these programs come out on and, and how, um, how to make a New Year's resolution and how to set small goals that are achievable. Hey, same thing goes for here. If you need to pick out this Burial Sites Protection Act and really go after the governor on this one and, 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 or, or go after the, the legislature. The legislature could override the veto. I'm just, I'm just not optimistic that Democrats will turn on their governor. Although they seem to be doing over her, her judge uh, nomination, um, I just think that the party loyalty is so thick that it's hard to, uh, it's hard to overcome. By all means, let's let's push it. Let's let's figure out what we do. Find the means to go after these bad policies that whether they're Kathy Hochul's or whether they're you know whether they're a state legislator or a national um, a position like a senator or a congressman, we need to hold them all accountable. We we need to hold them accountable, and I'm not sure what the means are to do that anymore. I mean, it's certainly not just voting for them in the, in the general election. That doesn't get it done. I mean, oftentimes you, you see these people that will deny reality and just suggest that because they, they eked out a win in an election that, the, that they somehow have a 
political mandate to do to care, to continue to do the 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 crappy you know jobs that they've done in the past. Look, if you're an incumbent, it's easy to get reelected. It's it's pretty hard to unseat an incumbent, even for Kathy Hochul, who wasn't elected wasn't elected previously. But she almost lost anyway. So let's not let her get comfortable in this position. Could she turn around and be a good governor? I don't know. <laughs> I, I have a pretty negative feeling towards uh, towards politicians, state or uh, or national. But you know what? Let's let's pick out the items that we that we want to have her affect change to. And 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 you know, and the, and the same thing goes with would look. Part of the the success we had with the mascot issue had to do with using the education department rather than the legislature or the executive. Let's figure out how we make change and make those changes because we are not going in a good direction. And, and as I said on, on one of my <laughs> New Year's posts, which you know sounded pretty grim, I guess, what I said is, look, I don't see a sense of harmony you know, coming into the new year. I don't see people with good tidings. I see people acting every bit as crappy to each other as they have in the past. And I honestly think we're going to see the worst of humanity in 2023. Every bit of, every bit of, the, of, the, of the horrors we've seen in the past, we're going to continue to see this year. The question is, what do we do about it? Forget about the, the, the arc of the moral, or the, what is it, the, the, the moral arc of justice or whatever that uh, King referred to. That only bends when we bend it. There is not a, gen, a genuine bending, a natural bending of the moral universe towards justice. People have to do that. Because injustice is caused by people too. So justice has to be caused by people. So let's, let's step up. Let's do all that we can do. Let's do more. And let's fight for justice, for social justice, for economic justice, for environmental justice. That's my wish for the new year. I want to thank you for listening. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh. Yeah.